Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Tonight is week two in our six-week series through the book of Judges. We are taking six weeks to look at six of the judges from the 21 chapters of this book in the Old Testament. I want to open today by rereading our mission statement for this series. It goes like this, behind every rebellion is the opportunity for reconciliation. Behind every failure is the opportunity for forgiveness. And behind every imperfect hero is a perfect God. At the end of last week, our first judge, Othniel, had won a mighty victory and led the people of Israel into 40 years of peace. But then Othniel died and peace died with him. Do you remember the days at school when you would have a substitute teacher? And it was like you're in the classroom and every student is the same, the room is the same, and just one person has been swapped out, and yet things are very, very different. Crazy things happen when the substitute teacher shows up. Kids that were nice kids, suddenly crazy things happen. And then there was, this mostly happened in high school, but in high school you'd have the time where then you had the first class of the day and they hadn't found a sub yet. So then you're showing up into the classroom and there's no teacher. And all of the students show up and then suddenly the collective consciousness of the class realizes we're alone. And crazy things begin to happen. When Othniel dies, there is no substitute. There is no replacement. And the slow slide happens back into idolatry. They neglect going to the temple. They neglect reading of the scripture. They make deals with pagan people, allowing the wall between holiness and unholiness to be deconstructed. Did you know that sex and marriage was one of the biggest ways that idolatry kept entering into the Jewish culture. There's actually an episode that occurs in the book of Numbers chapter 25 that mentions all the key characters we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 3 here in just a minute. But before we go there, I want to take a quick look at Numbers 25, and I want to talk about the way that sex and marriage was the, the entry point for idolatry to come back into the Jewish culture. And in this story, in Numbers 25, it's going to mention all of the key characters from the story we're going to look at tonight in Judges chapter 3. So it mentions the Israelites. It mentions the Moabites, which is the people group who attack Israel in Judges chapter 3 today. It mentions the Canaanite god, Baal of Peor. And it mentions the God of Israel, the only true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3 says this. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. I want to make this observation before we dig farther into this passage tonight, is that sex and marriage used to be and continue to be one of the most common and conniving ways for the enemy to find his way into your life. Whether you are married or single tonight, I just want to encourage you to be on guard. 
that you need to be people who have good boundaries, who make wise choices, and who are a protected people against the way that sex and marriage can lead people away from the Lord. For men, it's often more physical. For women, it's often more emotional. But who you love and who you lust after speak loudly into your life. It can drown out reason, and it can drown out righteousness. I want to encourage you tonight in your relationships, in the things that you watch, I want to encourage you to be a protected people. It is one of the most common and conniving ways for the enemy to draw people away from the worship of God. So Othniel dies, and the people of Israel drift back into sin. And when this happens, God does something that you might not expect God to do. We're going to read it word for word here in just a second. But God gives power to the Moabites, which is a bizarre thing for the God of Israel to decide to do. God empowers the enemies of Israel. There was a Bible teacher from the 1800s named John Nelson Darby, and he said it like this. God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes which he is behind. If you're someone who gets discouraged by American politics or by international politics, I want to remind you tonight that God is in control. And no one rises to power without his permission, and no one falls from power without his purpose. Let's turn our scroll now to the book of Judges, chapter 3. We'll spend the rest of our night in Judges, chapter 3, as we meet our second judge for this series. Let's begin in verses 12 through 15. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. The Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Jerah, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Let's pray as we walk into God's word tonight. Father, we thank you. I pray, Lord, that as we spend time together tonight around the campfire of your word, that you would draw us close to you. I pray that you would help us to find light in your word, that it would guide our path. I pray that you would help us to find community in your word that would encourage us to not feel alone tonight. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is September 13th, which means it's exactly one month after August 13th, which is an important holiday that you may not know about. Does anyone know the holiday, the international holiday that occurs on August 13th? August 13th is International Left-Handers Day. Do I have any left-handers in the room? Did any of you just raise your right hand? No, I think, I think you did good. <laughs> okay, so about 10% of the population is left-handed. My dad was left-handed, and I have heard that it is difficult to be left-handed in some ways. I want to give you a quick quiz that we're going to do at our tables and see if we can raise our level of compassion towards the left-handed people that are in this room. 
Uh, the game goes like this. I have five items here, the five most popular items purchased for left-handed people, and I want to see how many of you can come up with. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, so if someone at your table has a pen and paper, get ready to write them down. You can come up with more than five if you can, but I want to see if you can guess the five that I have on my list. If you don't, if you've never loved a left-handed person, this may be very difficult for you. Are you ready? Set. Go. Five most Here's the five I have. Uh, left-handed scissors. Left-handed can opener. Left-handed measuring cup. You hold it like this, you can't see the numbers if they're on the back side. Left-handed computer mouse. And a right-handed baseball glove. I thought as I was doing this today, I was like, you know what? It probably would not be fair to let the left-handed people participate in this game because of their unfair advantage, but I didn't want the left-handed people to feel. It's early, and I'm going to warn you, that is not the last pun of the night. The story of our second judge, Ehud, is a gruesome spy thriller, and a lot of his success comes from the unexpected superpower of being left-handed. Throughout history, different eras of history, it has either been difficult to be left-handed or it has been very difficult to be left-handed. In the 1980s, there was a scientist that reached a, his, his conclusion that all left-handed people die early. Don't worry, it was proven not to be true. You're okay? Just keep breathing. Around the 1900s, there was another scientist who came out with his theory that left-handed people were more likely to be criminals. It was also proven not to be true. Don't worry. Keep breathing. But throughout history, and all the way back to biblical times, there has been incorrect negative perceptions about left-handed people. Even in the Bible, the Bible uses the phrase left hand 11 times in all of Scripture, and it uses the phrase right hand 104 times. Because right hand is where the blessing was, it is where the strength was, the authority was, and if you were left-handed, something wasn't quite right. I'm really afraid I'm going to offend all of the left-handed people in the room with this message. If I offend you, let me know, and I will write you an apology with my left hand, and we'll... You won't be able to read it, but it'll be meaningful to you. Even the way the word is translated in Hebrew is really interesting. So it's translated in your Bible as left-handed, but it, the word literally doesn't mean left-hand strong. It means right-hand broken. So there are Bible scholars who believe that Ehud wasn't just naturally born left-handed, but they believe that his right hand had been injured in war or deformed and that there was something wrong with his right hand. He walks into this room with weakness, and yet God uses his weakness in a superpower kind of way. In verses 16 to 20, we learn about Ehud's plan to overthrow the Moabite king. The pattern we looked at from last week is present in this week's story. Last week, we talked about how God will lead us from pain to peace. We see the pain in this story. They were captured. They were controlled for 18 years. We see repentance in this story. They turn to God, and they repent of their ways, and we see leadership in this story, a leader that will lead them to peace. God calls this leader Ehud, and he says, we're going to find a way to overthrow this Moabite king. So the plan was, is there was a trip that was already scheduled, and because they were enslaved people, every year they had to go and offer this tribute offering to the king. 
So they would bring all of this money that they had to pay, this tax they had to pay, and bring it. Ehud was one of the people on this group to bring this offering. They bring the offering to him, and then they all leave, and Ehud goes back armed with a dagger. During this time, they would have had their own kind of security detail searching people for weapons in order to protect the king. But warriors were never left-handed. They were always right-handed because there was something wrong with people that were left-handed. They were always right-handed, and they would keep their weapon on their left leg so they could easily access it by walking in, reaching the left side, coming across with their dagger. And so every security guard in Israel would have known this. And so when Ehud re-entered into the king's court, they would have checked him for weapons, but they only would have checked his left side. And yet he had a 12 to 18 inch dagger hidden under his cloak on his right side. The guards never would have checked. Ehud approaches the king with his deformed right hand and he says, I have a secret message for you. The king is not threatened by Ehud in the least. And so the king clears the room to hear this secret message. This is where the story gets really great and really gross. Let's read it out of your Bible. Here's verses 20 through 22. Ehud walked up to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. If you have a 13-year-old who you're struggling to get excited about Scripture, this might be the verse that does it. It's a little intense. The King James Version has a cleaned-up version, and the King James Version says, and then the dirt came out. <laughs> but it wasn't dirt. And what's so interesting about this very gruesome detail is this gruesome detail is part of the success. The guards come to check on the king, but it smells like he's going to the restroom. And so the guards assume that he's going to the restroom. And so the guards patiently wait outside the door while Ehud carefully escapes out the side door, down the street, and out of town while the guards are still waiting because the guards are convinced he's just using the restroom. Hours go by. They eventually break down the door. When they come in, they find the king dead. Ehud gets back to his, his hometown and raises an army that very same day. They return to Jericho, the city that they once marched around and saw God drop those walls with a shout. And they come back in the city of Jericho. They kill 10,000 Moabite warriors and they reclaim the city, they reclaim their future, and God warrants them 80 years of peace. After 18 years of captivity, at this victory, God leads them into 80 years of peace. It's amazing, and here's the question I want to ask to you today. What kind of heroes does God choose? This story is very unique. It definitely stands out. You won't confuse this with any other story that you read in the Bible. 
Ehud is a one-of-a-kind, and yet there are characteristics about Ehud that are similar to other stories of victory in the Bible. Ehud's challenges are unique, and yet it's not unique for God to choose a hero with so many challenges. Moses had a stuttering issue. David was the youngest and the smallest. Ruth was a widow. Rahab was a prostitute. Hosea married a prostitute. John the Baptist was a fur-wearing bug eater, and a third of the disciples were fishermen. God seems to choose unconventional heroes. It's not going to be who you think it's going to be. Have you ever watched the NBA draft or NFL draft or MLB draft? Actually, I should ask, has anyone in the room never watched any of those things before? Great, there's my people. Good to see you. Thanks for coming out tonight. But at these events, they will place so much weight on their research. They will spend so much money betting on winners and losers. And it seems that they're wrong just as often as they're right. I feel like we should pause at this moment and have a moment of silence for Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) There's some skeptics in the room. Uh, Okay, so if you didn't hear the story, uh, Aaron Rodgers was traded to the New York Jets. He was (laughs) not sure which way you're cheering. I've just made a divisive church. Uh, For $75 million for the first two years. And this week, on his fourth play of the season, he had an injury and he's out for the entire season. God chooses unconventional heroes. And it's really interesting how easily we can be tempted to move into this trap of choosing winners and losers that we can move into this culture of, of knowing, right? And so with Aaron Rodgers, there's a team of people who were willing to bet $75 million that he was going to be their ticket to win. And yet, somewhere, there's going to be some unconventional hero who ends up being the quarterback for the New York Jets for the rest of the year that they, that they had it wrong. There were things they didn't know about. There were things they couldn't control. And there is an unconventional hero waiting in the sidelines. You can kind of pick all of these things out that uh, people do. They do it in workplaces. They do it with schooling. They do it with uh, sports. And they begin to bolster their confidence and their ability to decide who who should be in charge or who's the most talented. And if we're not careful, we can watch these habits slowly move themselves into the church. Can I encourage you tonight to do your best to not be part of the problem? Because it's really easy for this type of thinking to sneak into our lives. And we begin to pick the winners and losers. And many times we can miss out on the unconventional heroes. We can miss out on the people that God is raising up. And you might be that person that God is raising up. I think all of us have had days and in certain ways in our life that we feel like a left-handed assassin that we feel like there is something that has happened in our past, there is something in our personality, there is something in our talent or abilities that has made us not the first choice. And yet, your first choice is very rarely God's first choice. He tends to always be looking for these unconventional heroes. There's a friend of mine, his name is Mike. He lives in Chicago. He was raised in Chicago, not in a great part of Chicago, and not really into a great situation. He never knew his dad, and most of his middle school and high school career, he was homeless, um, living out of his mom's car. And so his mom 
would still, every Sunday and Wednesday, drive them out of the really bad part of Chicago into a really nice part of Chicago and attend this really great, huge church. At the time, the church was running three or 4,000 people. It's a huge church. And there was a pastor there who pastored for many, many years, um, and his name is Pastor Schmidtgall. And he was a very loving, kind man, and he was someone who had the ability to see people with God's eyes, to see unconventional heroes. And even as a little boy, my friend Mike has the memories that when he would walk in with his single mom, that this pastor would always see him, would always come find him, always give him a hug, and he would always say, Mike, you're my boy. And Mike grew up in this church. Years went by. Pastor Schmidtgall retired. Pastor Schmidtgall's now been in heaven for about 15 years. And I met Mike when I was at Central Bible College Ministry School. Got to know him well. He was a pastor in Arizona for a while. He was a pastor in Texas for a while. And as of, oh, about 16 months ago, uh, Mike became the young, the young adults pastor at Pastor Schmidtgall's church. And I just love to think the sight line that Pastor Schmidtgall has from heaven right now to look down and see that boy from a single-parent home, from a home without a lot of resources, and to know that he saw it, that God had given him supernatural vision to see the hero that maybe no one else saw, and that now, when Pastor Schmidtgall has passed on and can no longer care for this, his own church, as he's in heaven, one of his heroes is in Chicago caring for those people. That's the kind of vision that God has when he sees unconventional heroes. That's the kind of vision I want God to give you about yourself and about the people that are around you. God's heroes are unconventional, unqualified, unhinged, and unhindered. This is part of the fearlessness you see in the people of God. If I am relying on my qualifications, well, then that is a limited supply. But if I'm relying on the power of God, that is a limitless supply. If I'm relying on my wisdom, I will always wonder, do I have enough? But if I'm relying on his wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, I will always have enough. David said it best when he said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It looks like you've got some weapons, but I've got the name of the Lord. It looks like you have more power, but you do not have more power because I'm not comparing your strength to my strength. I'm comparing your strength to his strength. And it allows these unconventional heroes to walk through life very confidently very unafraid. There are so many things that could have gone wrong with Ehud in that courtroom. The security guard could have checked the other leg. They could have not let him in. The king could have not have agreed. There are so many things that could have got wrong, but he wasn't walking into that courtroom in his own strength. He was walking in that courtroom with heavenly strength. It's interesting, uh, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament has kind of watched all of this unfold. So he sees these Old Testament unconventional heroes. And then Paul is a first-person uh, viewer of the story of Jesus Christ. So he sees that Jesus Christ doesn't come riding in on a horse with a bunch of uh, army. He sees Jesus born into a manger. He sees him rise to power who's from, as the son of a carpenter from an unpopular city with unpopular people. 
he sees Jesus take a unconventional path towards victory. Jesus was the king who didn't become the king by killing people. He became the king by being killed. He sees Jesus take this path towards victory. And Paul, as he's watching the church of Jesus Christ begin to form, has this observation that maybe this isn't just what Jesus is like. This is what Jesus's people are like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, Paul is talking, and he says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Do you see the purpose behind his choices? That he says, I'm going to choose unconventional heroes just so everyone knows where the power is coming from. I want to pray for you tonight, and I want to pray that God would encourage your heart tonight. I know that every one of us have had seasons and moments in our life where we have felt that we were coming in third place, that we were short-stacked in the talent category, short-stacked in the family category or the job category, and that we weren't going to be the first one picked. Great! You just became the person that God wants to pick. You just became his unconventional hero. Be encouraged tonight. Know that God knows your name, and know that he has a plan to lead you and a plan for you to lead others. Father, I thank you that you're with us tonight. I pray that you would encourage our hearts tonight. I pray that that shortcoming maybe that has uh, tagged along with us for too long, that has caused us away from opportunity, that has challenged us to not take leaps. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see our strengths through your lens. I pray that you would help us to be confident not in us, but to be confident in you. Let this world see mighty wonders, and when it's done, let it be totally clear that it wasn't accomplished by us. It was accomplished by you. I pray, Lord, that if there is an opportunity uh, weighing on someone's heart right now, if there is something they are considering saying yes to, I pray that you would give them supernatural wisdom. If there is a leap of faith that you have been calling them to, I pray that you would give them supernatural wisdom and that they would be able to step out in faith and do the things that you're calling them to do, not by their power, but by your power. We love you. We thank you for the good things you have for all of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.